wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to Wrestle Rant Radio for July 15, 2014. I'm your host with the most, Graham Gison Matthews, with a lot to talk about here today. A big week in the world of wrestling from the last seven days and the upcoming seven days. And, of course, in two days from when I'm filming this, on July 17th, my favorite day of the year. Extremely excited for it. It's a Marxy three-year anniversary of my favorite pay-per-view, favorite occurrence, favorite moment in match from WWE history, CM Punk. Versus John Cena for the WWE title from Chicago, Illinois. Such a great pay-per-view, Money in the Bank 2011. I plan on watching it in its entirety this upcoming Thursday. But before all of that, a big night tonight on WrestleRant Radio. Lots to talk about, including Sting in WWE, dot, 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 2K15, CM Punk's Eventual return, my latest thoughts on CM Punk. I don't talk about Punk every single show. It's been a number of months, actually, since I last talked about Punk here on the show. And since his contract is reportedly set to expire this upcoming Thursday, thought I'd give my in-depth thoughts on everything going on with the straight-edge superstar and when he's due to return, if ever. I'll get my thoughts on that in a little bit. Also, I'll be giving more uh, news and notes on the WWE Network. Also, a certain aspect of the WWE Network that I did not talk about last week and something that could be potentially taken away from the network that's really not all that necessary. Get into that in a little bit. And of course, my Monday Night Raw review for July 14th, 2014, as well as my predictions for this Sunday's Battleground pay-per-view. On paper, the card looks great. I'm excited for it. I'll be camping this weekend um, from Friday t- through Sunday, but I will be back by Sunday night hoping to watch it live on the WWE Network or at Buffalo Wild Wings. Either way, I'm pumped. Looking forward to it. So, full picks, preview, and predictions for the Battleground pay-per-view at the end of the show. But um, like I said before, Sting is my first talking point of the show here today. Sting has been announced as the first major pre-order bonus for the WWE 2K15 video game. Um, It was one year ago today, on July 15, 2013, that Ultimate Warrior, after an 18-year absence from the WWE, was announced to be in the newest video game, WWE 2K14. And that was a big deal. I was extremely excited for it. Ultimate Warrior is one of my favorite wrestlers people of all time, an incredible inspiration to me personally. Um, But either way, though, I was extremely excited to see him in the video game. It was great to see him in the game. He was one of the leading faces of that franchise of the 2K Sports game last year. And um, at the time, there was real no contract set in stone for the Ultimate Warrior back in WWE. He didn't return to Raw that Monday night or anything like that. And I was just looking back to his tweets about a year ago, and he also tweeted... um, 7.15.14, or 13, I'm sorry, always believe, much like Sting did last Tuesday when he said, when he just tweeted out the the very cryptic tweet, and actually came out after I filmed the show last week, so I was unable to talk about it, but he tweeted out 7.14.14, and um, led to a lot of speculation as to what it would be about, and of course, 
it was pretty obvious to assume that it'd be about the video game. Sting wouldn't, after decades of being in the business and having never once been on a WWE program, would just randomly show up in the on the go-home show for Battleground, of all places, you know what I mean? If he's going to come into WWE, it's going to be in a big, grandiose fashion, whether it be at the Royal Rumble, the night after WrestleMania, at WrestleMania, the Hall of Fame, um, whatever it may be, Sting will be back and it will be in WWE at some point. But don't expect him to appear on a random episode of Monday Night Raw without any prior hype or build, advertisement. You know what I mean. You, you don't expect him for him to be back or, or to be in the WWE. I can't even say back because he's never been in the company. But you know what I'm talking about, though, so... It was pretty obvious to assume that the, what he was teasing was the video game. But that being said, though, I'm extremely excited for it. I'm not a big gamer. I don't play most of the video games. I buy all the video games. I haven't played 2K14. I started playing Road to WrestleMania right after Christmas last year, and I didn't have an Xbox up at school with me. So I was unable to bring 2K14 with me because I have it for the Xbox, and I was unable to bring the console back up to college um, when I, after after winter break ended. So I really haven't played 2K14 at all. And it kind of sucks because it was an awesome game from what I played. But yeah, like I said, I just don't really have the time to play the video games. But I do buy them. I play them as much as I possibly can like during my off days and stuff like that. But um, that being said, Sting is a pre-order bonus. Um, I've never been a big pre-order guy. Um, I'm hoping there's some other way that you can play a Sting in the game without having to pre-order. I know they've done this in the past. Uh, maybe you can buy them online in the in the Wi-Fi store for Xbox, PS3, PS4, whatever they call it. Like I said, not a gamer. I have no idea. But um, that being said, though, hopefully there's another way that you can play as him because that looks sweet. You can play as his Crow character from WCW, his later days, or the Surfer Sting from his early days in uh, WCW. So either way, I'm looking forward to it. The commercial that aired last night on Raw was freaking amazing, and people pointed out that the music that the orchestra was playing um, during the course of the commercial was his original WCW music. And um, I I've never watched a WCW show. I mean, I've watched WCW moments. Of of course, but I would never know that was his music from WCW, so that was really cool that they added that in there. Um, but there were reports a number of months ago as to why WWE was holding a casting call for an orchestra for someone to play Sting. People thought it might be for the DVD, and of course ended up being for this commercial. Um, it was funny, when the commercial initially aired during Raw last night, you can hear the people cheering in the arena when it was obvious that it was for Sting. And I'm thinking to myself, why would they boo at the end of the commercial when it said 2K15? Um, that's when the that, that's when the crowd started booing, and it was pretty comical um, when they finally found out that it was for the video game and it wasn't for a vignette like that, were, that he was going to be at Raw that night or that he was coming to WWE or anything like that. But um, I'm thinking to myself, why would they be so disappointed that it was about the video game? Wouldn't they have known this beforehand? And then I came to the realization that the commentators were talking about um, about the fact that Sting was going to be in the new video game. It never They didn't cut a promo in the ring. They didn't have a voiceover around the arena. It was the commentators talking about this. And, you know, being at Raw a few weeks ago when they announced that Bad News Barrett had been stripped of the Intercontinental Championship, I had no idea. Because being there live in the arena and the commentators talk solely to the people are, that are watching at home on the airwaves... 
um, that the people that are you know just sitting around and um, in the arena have no idea what's going on, and we would have never heard. Um, that news had I not, you know, figured out a little later on in the night. So the people in the arena were, I, I don't blame them for booing when they found out it was for the video game. Um, I would have just assumed it was for the video game. I, like I said, I don't think people should expect him to show up on a random episode of Raw. But either way, though, the bottom line is that the commercial was sweet. Very glad to see Sting in a WWE video game, finally. He was in the TNA video game a number of years ago, which I actually... Um, own, <laughs> don't, don't, uh, don't kill me, please, don't hate on me for that, but I do own the TNA video game, um, with Sting in it. Most notably, I own NWO versus WCW Revenge, one of the greatest games in the history of video games for the, uh, Nintendo 64, I play it from time to time, but, um, either way, though, I should definitely expect, and I was talking about this before, that, um, I definitely expect the relationship between WWE and Sting to branch further on, aside from just a video game. And don't let WWE fool you. Don't let the dirt seats fool you. I'm pretty sure Sting, I'm almost a 99% confident that WWE and Sting have signed some sort of a contract. Otherwise, not only have they announced him and put him on the website for the new video game or whatever and heavily featured him on everything, and they have for the last number of months, but you know what I'm talking about, um, they also released a new t-shirt for Sting on their WWE shop page last night. So, if that's not an indicator that he signed with the company, then I don't know what is. Um, whether, what role he'll have on TV, when he'll eventually debut, that still remains to be seen. But like I was saying before with the Ultimate Warrior, before I got sidetracked, Ultimate Warrior started out as an exclusive to the video game, his first WWE video game in years, if you don't count All-Stars. His first, like, you know, in the series of SmackDown vs. Raw or WWE 12, 13, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but Ultimate Warrior, of course, a number of months later would be confirmed as the first leading name in the WWE Hall of Fame for the class of 2014. Came back, did the whole spiel, unfortunately passing away a number of days later. But that aside, though, his... His contribution to the video game last summer led to him being inducted into the Hall of Fame in early 2014. So whether the same happens for Sting, that remains to be seen. I certainly would think so and hope so. I'm not saying he'll be the leading face, the leading top name for next week's, I'm sorry, for next week's, for next year's WWE Hall of Fame class. Like I said, I could very well see it. I'm not saying it will happen. But um, if it's not a Hall of Fame induction or anything like that, then I could very well see him just coming into the WWE, maybe doing a one-off match, a one-off appearance at WrestleMania. Not SummerSlam, so don't get your hopes up. But um, I definitely see him doing something in WWE in some capacity. It doesn't even have to be as an active competitor. And I had someone ask me this on my most recent episode of Hashtag AskGSM up on the YouTube channel if you want to check it out. They asked me that with the position of general manager being completely useless nowadays, and I completely agree on that, what other role can you see him having on TV? And I said to the person, I said when I answered the question, um, I was talking about how, how he should not have a regular role on TV. The character... What it was in WCW, and this is a mistake that TNA had. I mean, he was an active competitor in TNA, so it was a bit different. But when he's on TV every single week, he feels ten times less special. And he definitely would in WWE. TNA was a completely different story. WWE's different because he's never been in the company before. And people like fans, younger fans maybe, that have no idea who he is and only know who he is based off vignettes and video packages, articles on the website, stuff like that. They know him as this dark 
character as this silent character, much like the Undertaker who hardly ever speaks, you know, roams in the rafters up above and stuff like that. I, putting him in the role of a GM would be absolutely asinine. And I, I talked about this here on the show a number of months ago when the reports first came out that that was the plan. I don't believe that for a second. I'm just, people were just, you know, purely speculating as to what his role on TV would be. But that being said, though, um, I don't think he should have a regular role on TV. If anything, he should come in, just do a one-off appearance, a brief storyline, whether it be with The Undertaker or whoever. Um, he, he, his role does not need to be a regular thing. I don't know why people just don't understand that. I mean, like I said, it would take away from the mystique of the character. Bring him in, do the Hall of Fame induction. He can do some stuff on the network. Like he was, I was watching the Ultimate Warrior documentary once again a couple of days ago. Amazing piece. Go check it out if you haven't already. He was doing interviews for the network, for the Ultimate Warrior, um, during Warrior Week back in April. So if he was to come in and do more that kind of stuff, promote the Monday Night War show, his new DVD, which is set to come out, I think by the end of the year, which is a match completation or something like that. Either way, though, um, he doesn't need to have a regular role on TV. That's the bottom line as to what I'm getting at here. That being said, though, I'm extremely excited for Sting in WWE 2K15. It should be a great addition to the game, playing as Crow Sting and Surfer Sting, and I'm very much looking forward to where the relationship between Sting and WWE goes from here. So that being said, though, we'll get into the another big news item in regards to CM Punk, and I'm one of those people that has complained on various occasions over the last five, six, seven months as to why people should stop chanting for CM Punk, um, you know, just give the stories a rest. I'm not saying I roll my eyes every time I read a story about CM Punk and the dirt sheets. I couldn't care less. He's my favorite wrestler. But even if he wasn't my favorite wrestler, some of the stuff that he, what he does, like being confirmed as a host for the uh, one of the awards recently, that's newsworthy stuff. If he, if it's reported that he's eating a sandwich at IHOP or something, or he's eating pancakes at IHOP, or he's at Denny's eating a fucking sandwich, yeah, that's not newsworthy. I don't, I don't need to read about that. I don't need to read about him taking a poop yesterday or having sex with AJ Lee, or maybe I would want to hear about that, but never mind. That that aside, um, I honestly don't really mind all the CM Punk news. I mean, the chance, I mean, I personally am guilty of this being at Raw a number of weeks ago. Um, I had someone comment on one of my videos about this when I was at Raw, and I put it to the YouTube channel about how I was chanting. I personally was chanting for CM Punk, and I just kind of got caught up in the moment so I can... I can uh, sympathize with people that have been to Raw shows that, that have been guilty of chanting for CM Punk at random times for no reason. I mean, AJ was in the ring, and that's why people have been chanting for her, or have been chanting for him during her matches, because they're legitimately married. But um, that being said, though, the whole CM Punk nonstop talk has you know been a recurring thing over the last six months, so I've just kind of grown numb to it. But that being said, though, it's a big week for the uh, CM Punk fans, WWE Universe, when it comes to the straight-edge superstar because it's widely believed that his current contract with WWE comes to an end this Thursday, July 17, 2014. Um, three years exactly removed from when he quote-unquote left the WWE with the WWE title. And my favorite match of all time, Cena vs. Punk, like I said before, going to be watching it all day on Thursday. Not just that match, but the pay-per-view as a whole. Because I, th- I still think to this day, that was one of the best WWE pay-per-views. Not just in recent memory, but ever. So, that being said, though, um, what announcement WWE will make, or lack thereof, on CM Punk this upcoming Thursday will be incredibly interesting. It is worth noting that they are doing a Beyond the Ring special on CM Punk. 
um, tonight on the WWE Network as I film this, July 15th, on his documentary. I've been saying for months now that when they were adding the documentaries, they had Cena's up there, Triple H's, Mick Foley's, Jericho's, Edge's, everybody's. And I figured it'd be a while before they added CM Punk's, because, you know, given the whole, his whole situation with WWE... I just find it comical that they go from putting a fucking uh, a, a sticky pad, a sticky note on the guy's face, um, from being as petty as that and doing stupid shit like that in the backstage, um, uh, in the backstage area, like with the Royal Rumble poster. If you remember that story from a couple of months ago, that's I, I still laugh just thinking about that. That was so dumb. Um, to now mentioning him on WWE TV. Now, they're not mentioning him every week, but they did mention him by name tonight on Raw for the first time in a while um, when they promoted his WWE Network special. He was also on WrestleMania Rewind last week with his Money in the Bank victory, so it's been interesting. I'm not one of those people that will say, oh, just because they have the special up on the network now that it's been confirmed that he's coming back. And I've been saying this since day one, and I will continue to say it. I am positive I am 99.99, 100%, I mean, I'm sorry, nothing is 100% guaranteed, but I am 99.99% positive that he will be back in WWE at some point. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he'll be back next week or at SummerSlam or some something dumb like that when people were speculating that he'd be back at Raw in Chicago or that he'd be back at WrestleMania or the next night or back at Payback in, uh, in, in Chicago as well, and he never came back. Hopefully people just lost hope. We'll just give it up already. I saw some people talking about a potential CM Punk return last night on Twitter before Raw for some reason. I don't know how that got started. But um, either way, though, I still think whether he re-signs with the company this upcoming week or not, and I honestly, honestly, I don't think he will, um, but I do think he will be back at some point. Bret Hart, Bruno San Martino, Ultimate Warrior after 18 years all came back to the WWE. No matter how much bad blood there is between Punk and Vince, um, and Triple H for that matter, or WWE as a whole, and there was much worse blood between Warrior and Vince, and Bruno and Vince, and their problems with the company. Punks are a little, you know, a little lighter, and he just kind of wanted time off. And the reasons for his departure are still left unclear, and I'm not going to speculate on that. You can go back and listen to past editions of this show to get my full thoughts on that. But that being said, though. Uh, I do think, I still do think to this day that he will be back in some capacity, whether it be in the next few months, by the year's end, next year, five years from now, he'll be back in WWE at some point. It may not be as an active competitor, but he will be back in WWE at some point. But, that being said though, I don't think he'll be back anytime soon, even if he signs a new contract or anything like that. And even if he was, we wouldn't hear about it. It'd be exclusively um, you know, to the people that were involved in the situation of him leaving in the first place between him, between CM Punk, Vince McMahon, and Triple H. So those are the only three people that know that went on that day. Not even Paul Heyman, CM Punk's best friend in the world knows what went down the day that CM Punk quit. And I'm positive that even he wouldn't know if CM Punk was to come back to the company. So, But I do find it interesting that it, that it all goes down three years exactly removed from the events of Money in the Bank 2011. Like I said, my favorite pay-per-view of all time. And why it happens that way, it's probably because... I don't know where I heard this, whether it be... I think it was from CM Punk himself, whether it be on his DVD or an interview or something... Uh, I believe he re-signed a contract with WWE. He waited until the last possible minute. Um, I think it was like maybe two hours or an hour before his match or something like that. He signed a new contract. 
um, with WWE, and people will say, well, maybe they had him sign a week later because he returned in the 25th episode, uh, July 25th episode of Raw that year. I'm pretty sure otherwise they wouldn't have held that WWE title tournament. If they knew that he wasn't coming back, then they wouldn't have you know booked that whole champion versus champion storyline ahead of time and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty positive about that. So he must have signed the contract that night of Money in the Bank 2011 for three years, which makes sense because CM Punk has always been one of those people that have said, I'll be retiring within the next five years. Um, I don't want to be one of those people that wrestles forever, i.e. Ric Flair. So that being said, though, CM Punk, I'll continue to drive this fact home so people will quit asking me about it. CM Punk will be back in WWE at some point. Um, Like I said, this upcoming week will be very interesting for CM Punk fans. What will happen on the 17th remains to be seen. I very much uh, look forward to what happens. I don't know if he'll say something on a Twitter account or or whatever. Either way, though, I'm looking forward to what happens with the straight-edge superstar. As a fan of CM Punk, I would love to see him back. But if he's happy doing other things outside of wrestling, in the end, that's really all that matters. You can speculate all you want about him leaving the fans. And, you know, I'm a fan. I could say that he walked out on me. He walked out on uh, he, he walked out on the WWE. And he did. And he might have his reasons. He might not have his reasons. But if he's happy outside of wrestling, you know, then best of luck to him. Best of luck to him. That's great stuff. He's happily married to AJ Lee now. He's got a hosting thing going on now. Um, for something that's coming up in the next few months. So that's pretty cool. He's got his own thing going on now. Kudos to CM Punk. He was hoping um, he continues to garner success going for success going forward. Did I success? Oh, whatever. Um, going forward, whether he's signed to WWE or not. But um, like I said before, July 17th will be a very interesting day for wrestling fans. So up next, I just want to get to this brief point before I get into my Raw review. I talked about last week on last week's edition of the show about WWE Network shows, about Legends House and Tough Enough and the budget and stuff like that. Now, it's not going to be as successful as people thought it would and stuff like that. So go back and check that out. In the full edition of the show, I put a clip up on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, Graham Jason Matthews, if you want to check that out. But um, one thing I did not talk about, and this has been talked about for a while now, and I wanted to kind of mention this because I was reading about something about this a little earlier today in regards to the pre- and post-shows for the pay-per-views, Raws, and Smackdowns on the WWE Network. Now, I first tried to tune in to the pre-show for the first ever pre-show for Monday Night Raw when it first debuted, I think, in February, February 24th or whatever it was. Um, was it, no, I think it was February, yeah, February 24th, I think, of what it was, and, um, I tried to tune into it, there's a few reasons why I tune into it, I, I don't tune into it, um, one being that I couldn't care less about what they have to say for the most part, because a lot of the stuff on what they say, and it's kind of decreased in the last number of months, isn't really newsworthy, I know they break matches, and, uh, you know, it's like breaking news, like, this match has been added to Raw, that's nice and all, but, I can just find that out via Twitter, via the other news websites, you know, like ProWrestling.net. I can get that all from another site. Why do I need to sit through a, a half an hour thing? And I love Alex Riley. I love the fact that he's doing his thing on there. He's, from what I've seen, he's great as a commentator, as an analyst, whatever. He's great in his role, but not even he will be is a deciding factor in me watching the pre and post shows. I couldn't care less. I've got better things to do than than to watch a pre-show with really nothing notable going on. I watched the pre-shows for the pay-per-views because they had the exclusive matches, exclusive appearances from guys like Daniel Bryan and whatnot. 
they've got that stuff going on, on, on for the pay-per-view, so I watch the pay-per-view pre-shows. I don't watch the post-show, though. Nothing ever goes on. They had Hulk Hogan in the first ever one back in February when he first came back. But aside from that, though, is there anything really groundbreaking that happens in the pre- and post-shows nowadays? There was a, a notion going around a number of months ago that they wanted more people to start watching the pre- and post-shows. And it got decent ratings or decent views from what I've seen, you know, based on those top ten lists that WWE used to make. Used to make. They don't put them out anymore for some reason. Um, it, the raw pre- and post-shows used to be on that top ten. I don't know how many things are on the network that could be possibly listed more or less than the pre- or post-shows or whatever. But anyway, though, um, they did fare pretty well. People, you know, Most people watched it for the most part. But there was a notion going around a number of months ago that WWE would try to incorporate more storylines, feuds, on the pre-shows and on the post-shows so more people would watch them. And they have to an extent. They did something with Damian Sandow a couple of months ago where he dropped a, where he dropped a quote-unquote pipe bomb on the WWE. That was before he did the whole impersonation bullshit gimmick and whatever else. But um, they did the same thing with The Miz and Kofi Kingston back at TLC 2013. That was before the WWE Network. But they try to incorporate more storylines into the pre-show so it feels more notable. And don't get me wrong, I love the idea of a pre-show. Um, it, it feels more like a, a meaningful thing, like the sports, like with football, like you know, like other mainstream sports do that kind of thing. So it feels cooler. Um, it feels staged and scripted at times, and obviously, I mean... Even uh, ironic that I'm even talking about that because it's pro wrestling. But, I mean, you can obviously tell that the announcers are given a certain standpoint as to what they're supposed to defend as opposed to them actually giving their personal opinion as to who they want to win or who they think will win or anything like that. So, I don't really tune into the pre and post shows. I never have. I tried tuning in for the first time. I'm one of the very... Uh, I'm one of the... Uh, one of five people that still watches WWE superstars and... Whether it be for Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, or even as superstars, I hate spoilers. So I don't like to be spoiled when I don't like to be spoiled when watching superstars. And they used to air the finishes. They used to air the matches of superstars in the background when filming these shows. And that's not the case anymore because of the budget cuts that they now film the pre and post shows from the. I don't even know if they do post shows anymore, and I'll get to that in a minute. They film the post shows or they film the pre shows. I'm sorry from the WWE. Headquarters here in Connecticut, here in Stanford. Um, so that being said, though, I, they, even if they don't air the superstars matches in the background, that was one of the factors why I didn't tune in. Like I said, nothing newsworthy ever happens on these shows. So if they were to cut them, they've been cutting these SmackDown post shows for months now. Like, oh, they don't have a post show this week. Why in the hell? Why in your right mind would you have a post show for SmackDown to begin with? SmackDown is. I love SmackDown, don't get me wrong. I mean, being I mean, I watch all the shows. But SmackDown is one of those shows that airs on a Friday night. Most people don't watch SmackDown anyway. They know it's a throwaway show. They know they get Raw rematches on there anyway. What could possibly freaking happen on a SmackDown post show on a Friday night where no one is watching? I've got better things to do. So, I don't watch the post shows. I don't have any desire to watch any of them. And I think it might be better for them to be cut. I mean, if they're cutting, if they're costing such a budget on the, for the WWE Network for them to be filmed, to fly the analysts out there to Raw and to the headquarters, whatever, that it's more of a, a hindrance to the WWE to keep them around, then cut them. Like I said before, just keep the pay-per-view ones. Those are good. But for Raw especially, I mean, the show's already three fucking hours long. Do I really need an extra half an hour before and after Raw? To find out stuff that a basic recap and preview of shit I already know. 
I don't need to have four hours of wrestling on a Monday. I mean, that's kind of a little excessive. For SmackDown, nothing ever happens on SmackDown anyway, so even less newsworthy stuff is going to happen on a SmackDown pre- or post-show. So that being said, keep the, keep the pay-per-view pre-shows. For Raw and SmackDown, just scrap them if they're useless and if they're a hindrance, if they cost money, if they cost a significant amount of cash to keep them around, then cut them and just, you know, use Alex Riley, Brian Saxton for other uses on the WWE Network. Hell, do it today in WWE, like this morning in WWE. I know they were going to hire Jonathan Coachman to do something like that a number of months ago. Do something like that. I would absolutely love that they did something like that on the WWE Network. I would rather watch that, wake up and eat some breakfast while watching Alex Riley talk about this week in WWE. I mean, I'm not talking about like the weekly recaps, but like a daily news kind of thing. I would absolutely love it if WWE did something like that on the network, and I would be more inclined to watch something like that every day as opposed to a pre- or post-show where nothing ever happens. So we'll transition from that right into my Raw review for July 14, 2014, kicking off the show with WWE World Heavyweight Champion John Cena, talking about this Sunday's Fatal 4-Way matchup at Battleground for his championship. Roman Reigns would soon interrupt. Also good mic work from Reigns and Cena. Um, they've been developing a good chemistry with one another on the mic and in the ring over the last couple of weeks. And it's not one of those things like what they did with Cena and Ryback where I want to see them clash anytime soon by having turn having Reigns turn heel. This guy's a breakout babyface. Sometimes he gets better reactions than 90% of the roster. So keep him babyface. Keep him going on the right path. He's been doing a great job. Some of his promos are hit or miss. Some of them are better than others. I understand that same thing with his matches, but for the most part, he's been on the right track. He's been booked well. Um, he's been, you know, less is more from Roman Reigns, I guess I should say. I, I should say, given the fact that, um, you know, given his silent persona, and the longer his promos are, the bigger chance he has of screwing up. So I like the fact that he keeps it short and sweet. But a good segment to kick off the show. It really set the stage for later on in the night for their six-man tag team match, or what was initially supposed to be a six-man tag team match after Dean Ambrose was cutting a promo on Reigns and Cena. Um, Great stuff from Dean Ambrose. He's been one of my favorite stars to watch develop over the last couple of months. Um, He's quickly rising up on my list of favorite superstars right now in WWE. So that being said, Dean Ambrose had some great mic work here. He showed a great um, amount of resilience, great deal of resilience, when fighting him back against Kane Orton and Seth Rollins backstage. Really cool spot with Seth Rollins hitting the curb stomp on Dean Ambrose backstage. So, good segment to kick off the show. Like I said before, built well going into the main event, as well for the title match at Battleground, and even building some hype to the Rollins and Ambrose match as well. Up next, we had The Miz taking on the United States champion Sheamus in non-title action. Good matchup. Sheamus and Miz have had countless matches in the last number of years. I complained when Miz first turned heel late last year that I did not, I did not want to see him go back to jobbing to Sheamus every week. And um, it's kind of funny because he beat Sheamus here. But it's been so long since we saw these two last clash. I think it might have been like two years since we last saw these guys face each other. Then I'm fine with them having a match now, or even a feud rather, because with so many matches that, given the amount of matches that these two have had against one another, they have never actually had a one-on-one feud, which is actually pretty interesting. So I would love to see them feud over the U.S. Championship, uh, championship, especially given the fact that Miz beat him clean on this show, which I was very happy with, pleasantly surprised with, um, given the fact that the Miz net needs to get his new character over. 
which I'm really enjoying this far. I talked about this on my Facebook page a couple of days ago. Like the page while you're at it, shameless plug. But The Miz has been doing a great job in his current role as the new Hollywood uh, Hollywood star, so to speak, quote-unquote, with a big head and being so you know self-obsessed and you know self-righteous and stuff like that. He's been doing a great job in the role. Um, the fact that his head was on the Titan Tron or his face was on the Titan Tron was a little goofy, but it was something unique to his character. I've been enjoying it. He's getting good heat. He's much better as a full-fledged heel than he is as a babyface, and I thought I, his babyface run had potential, but WWE fucked it up. So, and he's much better in that role than he is as a tweener. So I'm glad they're going full-fledged heel with The Miz. And it was a very good win for The Miz, given the fact that it was it came in clean fashion, for one thing. And um, it gave him a win over a mid-card champion. Now, I always complain about the mid-card champions losing non-title matches. In this case, it was necessary. The Miz needed to win after losing to Jericho last week. I don't want to see Miz go back to his losing ways by losing every single freaking match every week. Then his new persona would mean nothing. Nothing has changed about The Miz at all. So it was very good to see him win here. Um, I'm kind of afraid for tonight's main event. By the time you listen to this, it probably already happened. But um, I'm just kind of fearful as to what will happen when it comes to tonight's episode of main event and um, and their matchup and their rematch tonight. Hopefully Sheamus doesn't go over clean. If anything, I would love to see Miz win again, building to a feud between the two at SummerSlam for the United States Championship. That could be great, and then the Miz could be the one to take the title off of him. So that'd be really awesome if they built towards that. But good stuff there from Miz and Sheamus. Up next, we had Dolph Ziggler and Fandango. So last week on SmackDown, they um, Layla and Summer Rae buried Hatchet. They became BFFs for life and um, have since started a revolution against Fandango. And this matchup was really nothing of note. If anything, I'm kind of pissed that Dolph Ziggler is involved in it all. And um, when he kissed Summer Rae a couple weeks ago on Raw, the crowd popped for it. And I was kind of envious of him standing in the ring with Summer and uh, Layla last night when he was dancing with him as Fandango sat on the side. But Dolph Ziggler, I mean, I know he's not doing anything right now, but he deserves better than this shit. And being involved with Fandango and this terrible love triangle. I've been down on it since day one. It's been going on for two fucking months now. And you'd think they'd have had the right mind to already end it by now. But that being said, hopefully they can get Ziggler out of this as quickly as possible. Um, Fandango, the whole love triangle, I've had no incentive to care about it since day one. So here's hoping they can move Ziggler out of this thing as quickly as possible, and they can end the love triangle between Layla, Summer Rae, and Fandango as quickly as possible, because I don't know if I'm supposed to think that the that Summer and Layla are baby faces, or Fandango's the heel, or he's the baby face because they're going against him. I don't really know. I don't really care. Hopefully they can just move forward with this love triangle and just end it as quickly as possible after the uh, after the Battleground pay-per-view. So up next, we have the Usos, who are scheduled to go two-on-two in tag team action against Heath Slater and Titus O'Neil on another rematch from SmackDown. However, the match never came to fruition after Wyatt family members Luke Harper and Eric Rowan unleashed a, an attack of fury on the Usos. So I like this. They have done everything possible to build towards this matchup at Battleground between the Usos and the Wyatt family. These guys have had so many matches with one another since the start of the year that they've done literally everything together. They've had tag team matches on Raw, SmackDown, main event, pay-per-views, everything. Um, they've defended the titles, they've had non-title matches, they've clashed in six-man tag team action, in singles action, both of them have faced um, both members of the opposite team. They've done basically everything. So for the Wyatt family to get the upper hand going into the pay-per-view teases the possibility that payback could be ending with the Wyatt family as WWE Tag Team Champions. I look forward to that. 
But um, it wasn't a strong push for the tag team title match on Sunday. But like I said before, they have done everything possible to promote this matchup coming up at Battleground. There was really nothing left they could do. So to kind of stray away from the predictable and the obvious, to have the Wyatt family attack the Usos, was very well done. Good stuff here. Like I said before, puts heat on the Wyatt family. And um, I personally could very well see them leaving Money in the Bank, or I'm sorry, leaving Battleground as WWE Tag Team Champions. Whether they do or not remains to be seen, and we'll see on Sunday, and I'll get into that in my Battleground predictions in a little bit. But um, uh, just a good segment all the way around, and good stuff from the Usos and the Wyatt family. So up next, we had a debate. We had a debate between Zeb Coulter, Jack Swagger, Rusev and Lana, mostly just Lana and Coulter, um, talking about their matchup this Sunday. Jack Swagger challenging Rusev to a matchup at the Battleground pay-per-view. The verbiage used here, the actual back-and-forth verbal exchange was really nothing all that memorable. Like, Zeb Coulter had a few good lines here and there, and he's been doing great in his role, as has Jack Swagger, as has Rusev and Lana uh, since their debut, but mostly for the prominently uh, Zeb Coulter and talking about how he was in war, he fights for the country. Um, the crowds have been getting into their act like crazy. I was at the Raw when they turned babyface two weeks ago, and the crowd was very much into this duo. They weren't on Raw or SmackDown last week, but they went back to being right behind Jack Swagger and Coulter on this show. So the actual verbal exchange, it was okay. It wasn't really anything like off the charts amazing, but the fans were into it. And by the, at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. If the fans are into it, they can make anything. They can make chicken. They can make chicken shit and a chicken salad from just basically, um, just basically cheering for whoever is involved. So the fan reaction to this was actually pretty great. Jack Swagger, it was actually a very cool moment when Rusev went for his patented super kick. Jack Swagger caught the foot, and he turned it into an ankle lock of his own. So that was really cool, making Rusev look a little vulnerable going into Battleground. By far the best thing Rusev has been involved in since his debut um, three months ago. Hopefully the feud isn't short-lived, much like his feud with Big E was. Um, I mean, if we can get two matches out of Big E and Rusev, we should get at least two or three out of Swagger and Rusev. So I'm hoping that they can drag this thing out to SummerSlam. I'm not at all saying that Swagger should be the one to end Rusev's reign of terror or his undefeated streak, but if he puts up a good enough fight and defeat, then he'll come out of this program looking strong, and hopefully the act will have more legs um, you know, going forward as a babyface. Because Jack Swagger, as I've said before, has been a heel his entire six-year career in WWE. So turning babyface was something new for him. It's something for refreshing. It's something cool for him to do going forward. The act is over. Um, you can... You can credit the We The People chants. You can say whatever you want as to why Coulter and Swagger are getting a, as big of reactions as they are right now. But the bottom line is that they are over. WWE has something very good here in their hands with a babyface Jack Swagger and Zeb Coulter. So hopefully they don't screw it up by feeding them to Rusev, which I'm not opposed and I'm not against. But hopefully that after they do so, they can continue to do something meaningful with Swagger who hasn't meant anything in years. So good stuff there. Very glad to see that the crowd was very much into that segment. Up next, we had a throwaway matchup between Alberto Del Rio and Rob Van Dam, two very familiar foes after their World Heavyweight Championship feud late last year. The matchup was decent enough. My biggest issue with this matchup was the fact that both guys have lost so frequently that I gave new, I gave no, I, I didn't give two shits about who won this contest because both of them have been booked to look like jobbers for the last you know, number of months. Rob Van Dam, I, mean, I talked about this on a recent podcast, whether it be two or a month ago or whatever it was, um, several weeks ago, I, I guess I should say. 
Rob Van Dam was being booked pretty well when he first came back. He was picking up win after win. He was feuding for the Intercontinental title against Bad News Barrett. So it meant something when guys like Barrett, when guys like Cesaro, when guys like Seth Rollins would defeat him. But when you lose to a guy like frickin' Alberto Del Rio, who hasn't meant anything since, like, since Medusa was still around, since uh, Methuselah was still alive, or as Jericho said in an episode of Raw a couple of years ago after Alex Riley picked up an upset victory over Dolph Ziggler, um, Del Rio hasn't meant anything in ages. No one cares about Alberto Del Rio, and the fact that he was in, even in the Money in the Bank ladder match a couple of weeks ago still is mind-boggling to me. In the main event of, of a pay-per-view, then went on to compete on superstars like the next night, so that was just comical to me. But even had Del Rio go over here, it's not like even Del Rio is a threat to win the championship. RVD is over. It's not like his popularity has died out since he came back a year ago yesterday. The the guy is still over. It was a year ago today he came back to Raw, had a kick-ass matchup with Chris Jericho, and they lit the world on fire. They lit the arena on fire with their great action for almost 20 minutes. Why can't they do more with Rusev, with, uh, with, with Rob Van Dam? I'm not saying they should push him to world championship title contender worthy level. He, he's not world title caliber at the age that he's at. I'm not saying he is, nor should he be. But they can at least do more with him. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, they had a very good thing going with him and Bad News Barrett before they cut that feud short after payback. Why not actually put him in a meaningful feud with someone like a Sheamus or a Miz, for that matter? That that could be a very good feud. I could get into a Miz-RVD feud. Um, anything along those lines, just do something with the guy. Don't waste him. He's just another guy in the in the Battle Royal this Sunday for the IT Championship. And Jericho was saying the same exact thing a couple of months ago when he was first petitioning to, when he was first in talks to come back to WWE to do something for WrestleMania 30. And when they turned down his request to work with guys like Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt, and um, they didn't know what they would be doing with him going into WrestleMania, he said no. He said no. I'll, I'll just wait you know, until a better offer is around, then I'll catch you guys later. He missed out on the biggest show of the year because he was afraid of being in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal that he probably would have not have won anyway. Nor should he have at the age that he's at. And like I said, Cesaro was a, probably the best person to win that matchup. And what he's done then is been debatable, and that I digress. But Jericho was in the right there in that scenario and turning down an offer to come back to WWE on the road to WrestleMania because he probably would not have been involved in anything meaningful. At least now that he's back, he's in a great feud with Bray Wyatt, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But had he come back on the road to WrestleMania, he would have been involved in a meaningless battle royal with... With uh, with the under the giant memorial battle royal participants, and you look at the participants in the matchup on Sunday, you got freaking Xavier Woods, you've got Adam Rose, you've got all the, and I, I'm a big Rosebud, but all these people mean nothing. You've got Rybacksel, Sincara, like when was the last time any of these people were on TV? So it makes no sense, and I couldn't care less. So the fact that they're positioning RVD as a jobber is just mind-boggling to me because he can still go in the ring, he can have great matches. The guy is over. Do more with him. Like I said, you do not need to put a title on him, but the fact that he's not more of a threat or more of a likely candidate to win Sunday's matchup is a problem. The guy is a former multi-time world champion. He's a former multi-time intercontinental champion. The guy should be a candidate, a strong candidate in storyline to win the matchup. Yet after losing consistently to guys like Rusev, to guys like Alberto Del Rio, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong and ba- anything uh, bad in losing to Rusev, but they had they went from j- feeding guys like Sincara and Santino to Rusev to then automatically just giving him RVD. 
like RVD is supposed to be positioned as a jobber. When in, in reality, he's one of the most popular stars that WWE has at their disposal right now, and a former WWE champion um, at that. So hopefully they can do more with RVD. I don't know when he's leaving again. Usually, I think the deal was when he first came back about a year ago that he would you know wrestle for 90 days or three months roughly and then leave again. And he's been back over for 90 days. I mean, he first came back the night after WrestleMania this year. And um, so maybe he leaves after Battleground. I'd love to see him stick around for SummerSlam, but if they're not going to do anything with him, then they just might as well just let him go until he comes back a number a number of months down the line. So that being said, um, bottom line, just do more with RVD. The guy is over. Don't let him go to waste. He was one of the hottest comebacks that WWE had had in a while when he came back almost exactly a year ago at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Bottom line, just don't waste RVD. So, up next, we had Alicia Fox and Cameron taking on Nikki Bella in two-on-one handicap action. Fox and Cameron picking up the victory. I thought it was pretty weird that Naomi, after um, Cameron, I think, had come in and attacked the Divas last week on main event, and as he was walking away, Naomi was thrown, or Cameron, I'm sorry, was thrown back into the ring by Naomi. Or maybe that was on, oh, that was in SmackDown, I'm sorry. On SmackDown, Cameron was in a match with AJ, and Naomi threw Cameron back into the ring. That's what it was. And they confirmed last night that Cameron and AJ are facing each other on the pre-show for Battleground, which is great. There's a story in there. They have history. That's awesome. I'm not saying the match is going to be awesome because Cameron sucks, but the fact they didn't further that feud at all. And I'll, I'll probably have someone, uh, someone will probably say, oh, well, they furthered it on the app. That's all that really matters. No, it's not that what matters. You can further it in a backstage video on YouTube, the backstage follow on the network, on the app. Do whatever the hell you want, but if it's not on Raw, it doesn't matter. Because no one else is going to see it. The casual fans mostly just watch Raw. They don't go on the website to go watch the backstage follow-up videos or on YouTube or on the network or whatever on the fucking app. I don't even watch the app. and I, I own the app. I don't even watch it. They had to further the feud here. And why they didn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. The whole Nikki Bella thing, on the other hand, I'm just not a fan. I've never really been a fan of the Bella Twins. Um, they've definitely improved in the ring uh, since their comeback about a year and a half ago. And uh, hopefully they can just move forward. I mean, it's grown tiresome for to see Nikki Bella compete in handicap matches every single freaking weekend, every single freaking show. Just, you know, move on already. But with the road to SummerSlam kicking off next week, next Monday night, hopefully that's when they can have Brie Bella come back and they can kick off the bill to the highly rumored, to the heavily rumored Stephanie McMahon versus Brie Bella matchup at SummerSlam. It's not going to be a technical masterpiece, but the the storyline is there, so I could see why they would do it. But um, that being said, though, hopefully we can get past this phase of seeing Nikki Bella in handicap matches every single week. And not even getting a match. All she does is just cry. It's kind of dumb. So, and I, I feel no sympathy for her whatsoever, and I don't think the crowds do either. But that being said, uh, we'll move on to the next matchup here. Big E versus Cesaro. Big E emerged victorious. The matchup was fun enough for what it was. Uh, the whole thing with Cesaro, he didn't come out with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman was in a backstage segment saying to the authority that if plan, D, if plan B doesn't work out, then he has a plan C. So that must be Brock Lesnar. Um, I said this on Twitter last night during the course of Raw, as it was airing live, that they should not foreshadow Brock Lesnar's return so heavily. I mean, it's already pre- predictable as it is. Casual fan or not, pre- everyone is pretty, ob- uh, is pretty confident that Lesnar is coming back. Um, for SummerSlam to contend for the title. So they shouldn't make it so obvious that he's going to be coming back by foreshadowing by with all these Paul Heyman name drops of option C. We know who it is. You know, don't shove it down our throats and make us feel stupid that we don't know. But that being said, though, 
Um, with, with Paul Heyman and Cesaro, Cesaro was on his own here, lost the Big E. Hopefully Cesaro wins the Battle Royal on Sunday and wins the IC Championship, because if he doesn't, I have no idea what they're doing with him in terms of him losing so many matches recently. He deserves better. Um, he was on a hot streak coming off of WrestleMania, and I've seen people talk about this countless times. I had someone ask me this on yesterday's Hashtag SGSM video as to whether the pairing with Paul Heyman has derailed his momentum, and it kind of has to an extent. I just don't want to see him go babyface anytime soon because I don't think it's the right time. It will be the right time maybe a couple months down the line. He can feud with Brock Lesnar. I just don't think it's the right time right now to give him the championship, or I'm sorry, to break him away from Heyman or to turn him babyface. It's coming eventually. It's just not happening right now, nor do I think it should happen right now. But like I said, if they're not going to have him win the IC Championship on Sunday, then I have no idea what they're supposed to be doing with Cesaro right now in this whole losing streak. It's kind of annoying because they, you know, it's kind of a waste of his talent. So hopefully they can do more with him. That with that being said, so up next we had Jericho um, demanding answers, is what it was billed as from Bray Wyatt. You know, just talking about what he's seen and who he's seen in the WWE. I, I thought it was entertaining. You know, him name dropping Bob Barker and. You know, Mike Tyson and stuff like that. I thought it was cool. A nice trip down memory lane. The actual verbal exchange between Jericho and Wyatt kind of left something to be desired. The attack was strong, though. I enjoyed it. Wyatt look, made it, it made Wyatt look like a beast coming out of this. Um, and I was surprised to see them get a close-up of the bruise above his, I think it was his left eye that he suffered over the weekend in a live event. It was at MSG. It was busted open by Ric Flair after being punched in the eye with his uh, Hall of Fame ring still on his finger. And Bray Wyatt was pretty beaten up from that and you know had a big bruise on his face. And they strayed away from showing Bray Wyatt's face for a majority of the attack on Jericho. They just got a side cam. But once he was standing over Jericho at the end of the segment, they got a close-up of his face. So I guess they just wanted to show how badass he was. or I'm not really sure why they would show it, but they've strayed away from doing stuff like that in the past, like with John Cena... They made sure not to get a close-up of him when he had that eye injury a couple of years ago or a couple of months ago. So, I don't know, but I thought this was a solid segment. It made me uh, that much more excited for Jericho and Wyatt on Sunday at Battleground. AJ beat Eva. Eva and on Raw Wrestling, I uh, know, thank you. So, hopefully it was... Uh, thankfully, the match was kept uh, relatively short and sweet uh, for the most part. As good of an Eva match that you can get out of her. Um, but the whole thing with Paige and AJ has been interesting. Hopefully we can get, um, you know, cemented their turns, their baby face and heel turns respectively at some point soon. Building hype for their matchup on Sunday. Bo Dallas beating Great Khali via countout. Hilarious stuff, especially when Dallas said Bad Giant. I thought that was really funny. Ric Flair came back. Okay, so in the short time that we have left, I'll just discuss this real quick before I get into my Battleground predictions. Ric Flair has been rumored to return for quite a for quite a while now, in the role of a manager for The Miz. And I haven't talked about this on the show at all, but I always thought that was a terrible role for him. The two have no chemistry together. And that's coming from the biggest Miz fit out there. And I'm a big Miz fan. I just had no desire to see these two together because their last pairing together bombed. Um, they were paired together early last year in, in January of 2013. So that being said, I had no, I, I had no idea what role they would have for him. They were suggesting that he come back as the manager for Evolution, for The Shield, for uh, yeah, for uh, for a stable, and that would have been goofy. I mean, this, no stable needs a needs a manager like the Shield broke up anyway. For Evolution or the Authority, maybe for the Authority, not more, not more so for Evolution. I don't think that he needed to rejoin that group. And I ranted about this on the show before that his last appearance on Raw when he confronted Evolution, it was pointless. No one even remembers that by this point. It was kind of dumb. 
But um, what role they would have for Ric Flair on WWE TV, people were left wondering what would it be. It was confirmed earlier on the night on this show that he would be on the show later on in the night. So he made his appearance right before the main event. He was interviewed by Renee Young. He really didn't say all that much. I can't even remember what he said. He said um, how good it was to be back. Renee Young asked him who he thought um, would win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship matchup on this, this Sunday. He said, I believe in Roman Reigns. Um, Kane is great. Reigns, Orton is great, whatever. But um, my pick to win it is John Cena. That was pretty much it. Roman Reigns' music hit. Reigns came down, shook Flair's hand. Cena's music hit. Flair did a little very entertaining dance, might I add, um, to Cena's music as it hit. Those two had a brief confrontation with one another. They just, you know, engaged in a brief stare down. Cena actually gave the World Championship belt, the World Heavyweight title belt, to Ric Flair as he walked away at the stage. So I'll get to that in a second. But that was it. Ric Flair did not do anything of note on the show. You know, I mean, Ric Flair will always always be Ric Flair. I'm not going to speculate that he was drunk during the course of this segment, that you know, that he was out of line or anything like that, like people were saying last year or the last time that he was around, you know, two or three months ago. I'm not going to speculate that he was drunk. He's always been Ric Flair. Ric Flair is Ric Flair. I didn't expect anything different. Just the whole content of what he's doing right now, it makes no freaking sense. You would think for a guy of his caliber, being the wrestling legend that he is, they would do more with him, whether it be as a manager for a, for a superstar, for an up-and-coming guy. Um, a lot of people thought that he should be paired with Dolph Ziggler, myself included. But apparently, according to what... Dirtsies have speculated, according to what Ric Flair himself has stated, that WWE, uh, they just flat out turned out down the idea. They didn't want it to happen, so they shot it down. Um, which is, it's kind of a shame, because the two would be a perfect pairing together, seeing how much they resemble, or, resemble one another. So that kind of sucks. So if he's not going to be managing uh, Dolph Ziggler, then what else could he possibly be doing on TV? Like I said, the roles of GMs, are completely useless now. They have nothing better for him to do. So I'm hoping that if he's back as on a regular as a regular character on WWE TV, they can find him something better to do than just parading him out there and just you know being pro Cena, pro Shield, saying I support this guy. He can be doing so much more in WWE. He can be adding so much to these storylines as a as an integral part of them. Then just rather just, you know, parading him out there and just, you know, getting his prediction for a matchup on Sunday. Like, it was pointless. I saw some people say that they enjoyed this. I personally did not. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but I was just left wondering, like, what the hell, what the point of that was. Like, I mean, I know he was pro John Cena, and someone speculated on ProWrestling.net, and I thought this was a great scenario. That maybe he's, you know, acting like he's all pro Cena, but once Cena loses his ter- current title reign and then goes after his 16th championship, Ric Flair will turn on John Cena and maybe manage a superstar to prevent him from becoming a 16-time world champion and breaking his record or tying his record in the process. That could be a great scenario, and if this is leading to that, I would love it. I don't have enough faith in WWE creative to do something like that. But it would be a great idea nonetheless, and hopefully they can do something like that if they do indeed go that route. But that being said, though, um, what they do with Ric Flair in the meantime, I have no idea. Hopefully they don't continue to do shit like this, because this was so pointless and very disappointing, especially given the fact that they advertised it. Like the initial Ric Flair appearance um, you know, a couple months ago, I ranted about that. At least that was not announced beforehand. I mean, I know Triple H announced it on Raw, but they never... 
Uh, he announced it on his Twitter page before Raw, but they never hyped it up over the course of the night. They hyped Ric Flair's appearance on the show countless times over the course of the night, and then he didn't deliver, and I just didn't understand it. So, That being said, though, um, potential roles that he could have, I have no idea. As a manager for Ziggler, that'd be my dream scenario, as for it would be for a lot of fans, but hopefully Ric Flair can do something much more meaningful and more noteworthy now that he's back in WWE for a more regular position as opposed to just, you know, being paraded out there to give his prediction for a world championship matchup at the next pay-per-view. That's what he did the last time. He was pro-Shield, and now he's pro-John Cena, so I don't know. Hopefully this leads to something, otherwise this was insanely pointless. But um, I will talk about this real quick, the retiring, or the potential retirement, of the World Heavyweight Championship belt after Ric Flair walked away with it on Raw. It's not actually his. Um, it was He gave it back to the WWE after he walked backstage almost immediately. But um, there has been wide speculation that it won't be used any longer. And I'm all for this. I think uh, this has been a long time coming. And it was a great way to, to for it to go out by having it been given to the man that held that championship the most and made it was made it what it was. So that's great. I thought it was a very fitting for, way for it to go out. I personally did not, did not even notice that um, Cena gave the title to Cena. Or, I'm sorry, that Cena gave the title to Ric Flair as he walked away. Maybe I was tweeting or something, just not paying attention. I don't know, but if they were going to retire one of the most prestigious belts in world champion, uh, and, you know, in, in wrestling history, you would think they would at least do it in the ring. Like, if Flair came out to that ring and asked if he could take that world championship, or if Cena went down there and said, hey, you take this, much like he did for the Superstar of the Year Award, which was also coincidentally enough with John Cena back in 2012 when... when uh, Back in 2012, when Flair first came back, I would have, you know, changed. Maybe my opinion of the segment would have been different. Maybe I would have liked it a bit more. But um, that being said, though, I'm glad they only they're back to one championship, if only because the two titles were goofy. If you if you're supposed to have one undisputed champion, then have one freaking undisputed title belt. It made no sense to have two title belts. So I'm glad they're just down to only one. And if they ever plan to split them up again. Maybe that's why people thought they were keeping them around, and I'm glad they only have one now, because uh, now the rumors of them splitting the titles back up are now over. So that being said, though, I'm glad we only have one world championship belt. I figured they would do away with the, the world title belt anyway, given the fact that um, they might be getting a new WWE title belt after SummerSlam since the, with the new WWE logo on it, the new revamped one that they're now using for the network. So, that being said, I, I thought we would get one anyway. I guess it just kind of happened sooner than I thought it would. But a fitting way for the world title belt to go out. Some people are saying, oh, we should keep the world championship belt as opposed to the WWE title belt. I'm not saying that I like the WWE title belt more than the world title belt. Because I, I know, obviously, that the world title belt has more prestige. But the world heavyweight championship belt, it only dates back in WWE. I know it goes back far longer than, in the, than what I'm about to say. It only dates back to 2002. And the WWE title belt has no, you know, breaks in between. I know the world, the, the world title belt, you know, started in WCW. They, you know, they credit people from like the early 1900s for holding it. It has no connection whatsoever. It's kind of ridiculous that that would even try that they would even try to acknowledge that. And it's not. The WWE version only dates back to 2002 after Jericho merged the titles the first time from WCW and WWE. The WWE title is the main championship in the WWE. That kind of goes without saying. So for them to keep the WWE championship, it's kind of a no-brainer. And I'm not really disappointed with that. 
And if they ever opt to bring back the world championship belt and you know have two two world champions again, great. And hopefully it won't be anytime soon because, like I said, time and time again, they spent up so much time trying to make it mean something that we're only going to have one world champion at TLC last year. So for them to go ahead and break the titles up so soon afterwards, I know it's been seven months, but if you're going to break them up again, at least give it another six months to a year before you break them up again. It's still too soon. Everything they did to make this title feel mean, uh, you know, meaningful would go to the wayside if they brought back the World Championship so soon. So hopefully they can, uh, if they are to bring back the World Championship, and, I'm not, and never say never, I'm not saying it's um, completely impossible that it won't be brought back at some point down the line, but um, I am glad they're keeping the WWE title belt. Not because it has a better design, don't get me wrong, but it has more lineage in terms of uh, WWE history, not wrestling history, because the World Title belt only dated back to 02 in WWE's eyes, you know, in, in terms of their um, lineage of champions. So that being said, we're about at the one-hour mark. Usually I would end right here, but I'll give my quick battleground predictions for this Sunday. Like I said before, it has the potential to be a great show. Battleground last year was a complete joke, and it's actually pretty funny because they started doing WrestleMania Radio after the first ever Battleground pay-per-view um, last October, I believe the first episode of this show was just days after the first ever Battleground pay-per-view, and I did not have much, uh, many fond things to say about that show, because it was very, very bad, and you can actually go back and listen to that right here in the archives, at nextyearwrestling.weebly.com, if you want to go back and listen to it for my full thoughts on the inaugural Battleground event, but hopefully this one is a bit better, and is not considered the worst pay-per-view of the year, much like that installment was, but... Anyway, here are my predictions. Kickoff show, Cameron versus Naomi. Um, I'm going to have to go with Naomi. It really doesn't matter, but Cameron sucks so much, I would hate to see her win. If she does win, it's an indicator that the feud will continue past this point. I could, I see it continuing anyway, but just give Naomi the win. It really doesn't matter either or you know, whoever wins. But I'll just go with Naomi because she's less annoying and she's a lot better in the ring than Cameron is. So I'll go with Naomi there. Jack Swagger versus Rusev. I already gave my two cents on this earlier on in the podcast, but hopefully they can find a way to make Jack Swagger look good in defeat and not be completely squashed by Rusev. Rusev needs to win here. His winning streak should not end until a big climactic um, point in time, whether it be to a top star. And I'm not saying it should be John Cena. Hopefully that feud never uh, comes to fruition. We'll go down the Cena-Umaga route a la 2007. But that being said, though, um, you know, like I was just saying, Jack Swagger should be defeated in a way where he looks credible in defeat, and they can continue this feud going into SummerSlam. It's only been two, three weeks since they first started feuding. It has a lot more legs to it than what it's been than what it's had so far. I've been really liking the babyface Jack Swagger gimmick. So hopefully they can keep this feud going into SummerSlam, and and it doesn't just end here with a Rusev win. I'd be fairly surprised if Swagger won here. I don't think he should win. It's still too soon to defeat Rusev via pinfall or submission. And Jack Swagger is the perfect kind of guy that can absorb a loss and won't really hurt him because he's been damaged so much over the last six years that it really doesn't matter if he loses another match to an up-and-coming star. So I've got Rusev there. Um, AJ Lee versus Paige for the Divas Championship. Seemingly at this point in time, it looks like a face-versus-face matchup. I see AJ retaining here, uh, building to Paige turning on AJ, whether the next night on Raw, after the matchup, another week, who knows, leading to some sort of rematch at SummerSlam, but AJ retains here is my official prediction. Um, the Usos versus the Wyatt Family, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, and a two out of three count falls match for the WWE Tag Team titles. So like I've said before, we've seen this matchup so many times since the start of the year. 
I too am grown, have grown tired of seeing them work together, but the matches never grow tiresome because they're always great. They literally, in my opinion, they, they, they stole the show at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view a couple of weeks ago, and I could very well see them doing the same on this show if given the right amount of time. And um, the stipulation is great. It's perfect for these two teams, given how well they work together. And I think it's the Wyatt family's time. If the Usos successfully defended the titles at Money in the Bank, I think it's only a matter of the time, only a matter of time, before Harper and Rowan um, win the tag team titles. I saw it happening on an episode of Raw after Money in the Bank, but I guess Battleground is good too. You know, prolong the Usos title reign for as long as they possibly can. And the Usos are freaking over, by the way, too. They were freaking over when I went to Raw in Hartford a couple of weeks ago. I failed to mention that in that week's podcast. Um, they've got a lot of new merchandise out. It's one of their—they're a very hot seller. Um, if you go to the WWE Shop merchandise stands at the live events, there's not a lot of top sellers right now. It's CM Punk on and Daniel Bryan currently out. And um, guys like Bad News Barrett out being as, being out with an injury as well, but um, you got obviously there's Cena. Cena dominates most of the merchandise stands, but U- the Usos have a lot of merchandise, and it's actually pretty surprising. And it's great for them. They're over. They're great. Um, love the Usos. But this matchup should be kick ass. The Wyatt Family goes over here. New WWE Tag Team Champions. Twenty two man. Over the top row, Battle Royale for the vacated Intercontinental Championship where Bad News Barrett will be in attendance and he will be probably on commentary to present the title to the new champion. Uh, participants include Adam Rose, Alberto Del Rio, Big E, Bo Dallas, Cesaro, Curtis Axel, Damian Sando, Diego, Dolph Ziggler, Fondango, Heath Slater, Kofi Kingston, Rob Van Dam, R-Truth, Ryback, Seamus Sankara, Great Khali, The Miz, Titus O'Neil, Xavier Woods, and Zack Ryder. So a lot of these people you'll see wrestling on superstars every week, so therefore they have no chance of winning. The only few people I see as legitimate, strong candidates to win this matchup include Bo Dallas, who I said last week has a very big chance of walking away as a new IC champion. I would love to see that. Cesaro, it's the only, uh, it only makes for sense for him to lose so many matches if their plan is to have him win the title on this show. But with Paul Heyman directing his... Focus towards Brock Lesnar and Curtis Axel being the IC champion last year. And he was with Paul Heyman at the time. Maybe it's not the best idea to give the championship to Cesaro, but he's still a very likely candidate to win the title on Sunday. So Bo Dallas, Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler, a dark horse, but I don't really consider him a likely choice to win. Um, who else here? The Miz is also a very likely choice, in my opinion, after taking out Sheamus. And um, I think he could be. I think he could only contribute to his push. Since coming back, he's been doing very well in his role that he currently has. Like I said before, in the Hollywood role. So for him to come back and win the IFC Championship for a third time, hopefully he wouldn't lose every match he's involved in this time around. But um, yeah, The Miz is also a very likely candidate as well. But um, of those three, I'll have to go with Cesaro. It would only make sense. Bo Dallas, he doesn't need a championship, but he can have a fun run with the title. The Miz, same thing. But Cesaro, I feel like at this point, after losing so much that he kind of needs to win the championship, and he can have a great reign as champion. Um, and, and Sheamus, I'm sorry, is also a very big candidate to win. I failed to mention him. But with Sheamus, though, um, I don't know, like I said before, with The Miz and Sheamus feuding, if that's a feud going into SummerSlam for the U.S. Championship, I don't know if they would unify the mid-card titles here. I could very well see it after Sheamus, um, you know, after he basically claimed that he would on last week's episode of Main Event. He said, I'll be the first one to unify the titles. And usually if he mentions it, usually if they have, you know, the writers go out of their way to make someone mention that during their promo, then it might be in the plans for people to expect it. 
So I could very well see that happening too. But if that is to happen, whether it happened with Cesaro or Sheamus, I would love to see, and I, I proposed this on Twitter last night, if they had Sheamus win the title, Bad News Barrett presents a championship to Sheamus. Sheamus turns on Wade Barrett on Bad News Barrett, gives him a bro kick, turns heel, turns Barrett face in turn, and then uh, you get a face versus heel match for when they come back, for when Bad News Barrett returns, you get a great series of matches. I said that last night in hashtag AskGSM. Shameless plug there if you want to go back and check it out. But that'd be a great feud to do over the new, really revamped mid-card titles. Otherwise, I have no idea why Sheamus is in this matchup if he's the current U.S. champion. Why would he be in an IC title battle royale if he's the U.S. champion? Obviously, it goes to show that they don't give two shits about the belt if uh, if he's involved in a matchup for another championship. It makes no sense. He was in the WWE title uh, matchup a couple of weeks ago, Money in the Bank. It makes no sense. Anyway, um... Seamus and Bo Dallas are two very big likely candidates, as the same with The Miz. But it'll have to go with Cesaro. It makes no sense for him to lose so many matches, only to not win the title. So I'll go with Cesaro here. Bray Wyatt versus Jericho. Jericho has been putting over Wyatt since he first came back a couple weeks ago. He, uh, the Wyatt family has gotten the better of Jericho at every turn. So that being said, I feel like it's only logical to have Jericho win here via roll-up or whatever. I don't at all think that it would harm Bray Wyatt, and um, he can go back and just win the feud and win the rubber match or the rematch, whatever, at SummerSlam next month, and then you end it there. So either way, I see this being a very good matchup for one thing. I heard their NXT matchup last year got brave reviews, so I look forward to them working together on this show. But um, I feel like Jericho has been beaten up so much by the Wyatt family in recent weeks that he could very. It, it's very possible that he will win here and then go into SummerSlam and lose there to Bray Wyatt, and therefore ending the feud. So that being said, I have Jericho going over here uh, via roll-up or something like that. I don't see it being a decisive, clean victory. But Jericho, unlike Cena, is to be is back. I'm not saying it's Cena's fault. It's uh, creative. You know, it's the writer's fault for not having uh, Cena you know, put over Wyatt in a bigger, stronger fashion during the course of their feud, but whatever. Jericho is back to put over Wyatt, and he can win a match here and there. He doesn't need to lose every match he's involved in. So, have Jericho win here, hold the rematch at SummerSlam, Wyatt can win there. So, I've got Jericho going over here. Up next, we've got Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins, another matchup I'm very much looking forward to. In terms of Seth Rollins' injury that it was reported to have suffered last night, um, some people were saying that it wasn't legitimate, but... I don't know, the fact that the camera was off him so quickly and Ambrose never came out, they might have... I mean, Rollins might have been involved in the brawl with John Cena at the end of the show and Roman Reigns, and Dean Ambrose was supposed to come back out and attack Seth Rollins. And the fact that Rollins got injured and was not involved in the fray at the end of the show, that might have prevented them from doing so. So, I still lean towards Seth Rollins being injured, not legitimately injured, or he is legitimately injured, but not seriously injured, maybe it was just, just a sprain. But as of right now, I've heard nothing really official on his status for Sunday. So as of right now, I'll just speculate. I'll just uh, assume that he'll be ready to go by Sunday. But either way, this is another matchup that could very well go with either guy going over. Because um, I see a rematch being held at SummerSlam. But um, I say Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins goes over here since Dean Ambrose has been getting the better of Rollins at every turn. And um, Dean Ambrose's big win over Rollins should be saved for SummerSlam next month. So I've got Seth Rollins going over here. And then in the main event, we've got John Cena, Orton Kane, and Roman Reigns in a fatal four-way match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. And it's funny that the main event is probably the most predictable match of them all. 
Cena emerges victorious here. Still your champion. Sets up him versus Lesnar. Two at SummerSlam for the title. So, like I said before, overall, should be a great show. Very much looking forward to it. And here's hoping it can live up to expectations. So, that being said, thanks for listening to tonight's folks. To tonight's show, folks, always appreciate it. Make sure to find me on Facebook at Graham GSM Matthews. Uh, YouTube, same thing. Bleacher Report, same thing. Follow me on the Twitter at at WrestleRant. I almost said my old username for a second. It's at WrestleRant if you want to follow me on there. Uh, make sure to listen to the show every Tuesday at nextairwrestling.weebly.com. The podcast is up every Tuesday. And I've got a big podcast coming up next week and maybe even the week after. Like I said before, earlier on in the show, I'm going camping this weekend, hooking up with my old friend John, who was actually my initial original co-host on Save us GSM. He's on Twitter as well at Heal by Design. Follow him. Um, we're going to be talking a lot of wrestling when I see him over the weekend when we go camping up in the New York area. We're going to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. We're watching WWE Network playing the board game SVR SmackDown versus Raw General Manager mode. It's going to be a wrestling filled weekend up in New York at the camping site. So I'm going to be recording a long ass podcast with him. We're going to be talking about staying in WWE. Ultimate Warriors passing, WrestleMania, the Raw that we went to a couple of weeks ago, uh, Battleground, Money in the Bank, everything that's going on right now in WWE, the Shield splitting, and of course, the streak ending at WrestleMania 30. So stay tuned for that podcast. Next week's show might not be one of those traditional shows where I just sit here and talk to you about Battleground and Raw. It might be. I might give my brief thoughts before I air that podcast, but... Um, it's going to be my first collaboration show since leaving the Endicott campus in May. We'll be back there in September when I reunite with RJ in the game to talk wrestling and the WWE as a whole. But this will be my first podcast um, since going solo this summer since I'm off the campus. Um, so as always, thanks for listening, folks. Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you guys next week. Oh,